The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and SART. These podcasts are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. Welcome to SART Fertility Experts, a podcast that brings you discussions on important topics for people trying to build a family. Our experts are members of SART, the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technology, an organization dedicated to ensuring you receive quality fertility care. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the SART Fertility Experts podcast. My guest today is Ellen. Ellen is here to talk about her experience with elective egg freezing. This is also called oocyte cryopreservation. Ellen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So Ellen, you decided to freeze your eggs a few years ago, um, long before you were ready to start having a family. Can you talk a little bit about the decision to do that? Um, so at the time I was a fellow um, in a um, field that um, was an a field that comes out of OBGYN or obstetrics and gynecology. And during my obstetrics and gynecology training, um, we trained with fertility specialists. And um, I was really struck by how once you became a certain age, it would be very difficult to have a family. Um, because of my training and because of my job, I had not met um, a future partner or any partner. And I started thinking, wow, if I don't meet them soon, I may not be able to have children. Um, and, you know, I, I think that the fertility doctors tend to say, hey, you know, whenever you can, you should start thinking about it because fertility drops significantly as you age. Um, and so I was lucky because where I worked or where I was training, they actually would give you 50% off to do um, uh, IVF. And my parents were willing to pay for that for me. So um, I was, I think, a first year in my fellowship and I started the process of egg freezing. Um, at the time though, this was quite a long time ago. So this is uh, over nine, uh, actually 10 years ago. Um, at the time when I started this process, um, uh, it was still um, experimental and I had to sign the IRB form um, and so uh, the IRB is this governing body that makes sure that um, uh, scientific studies are um, not going to harm patients and that are they're ethical. And so I actually had to sign a form because it was experimental, uh, the vitrification of um, uh, eggs. Um, and so because it was experimental, I actually decided to um, make what I like to call a fertility um, bank. And I knew that, um, they don't always know what kind of eggs that they get or, and so you don't know what you're going to get until embryos are made. And embryos uh, also at the time tended to be, um, freeze easier and unfreeze easier. So before I froze the eggs, I did two cycles of IVF and froze embryos. I picked sperm out from a, a um, a donor site online. I, and picked attributes that I wanted. Um, and, uh, I made, I did two cycles of IVF and made embryos. And then, um, 
my first cycle wasn't very good. And so um, the second cycle was great and made a lot of embryos. And so I did a third cycle, just exactly like the second cycle, but for eggs. So then I ended up having um, 13 embryos and nine eggs frozen um, at that time. And then I went on my way and um, I, you know, dated a lot. It actually seemed freeing to me to um, have that fertility bank. Cause then when I went on dates, the person that I was with didn't necessarily have to be my husband because I had to have kids very soon. Um, so that was great. And that gave me a lot of freedom. Um, so Ellen, it sounds like you benefited a lot from being perhaps in a medical environment because you were able to hear about the benefits of egg freezing. It was available to you, accessible to you. It was something that was offered next door or something like that, or something available readily to you. So you benefited from some being in an environment that supported it and in many ways. And so you that probably helped you along quite a bit. Absolutely. But also, you know, this was before egg freezing was really becoming a thing. It was me. It, it was really me. Like I just kept thinking about, wow, what if I miss my chance? And what if I don't get married? And I had, I was already 33, you know, and, and I'm, I was like, you know, I could miss it. I think I want to do this. And then, you know, not a lot of people did it. They, at the time where I was training, they mainly did it for people who had to undergo cancer therapy. Right. Um, that's what, who they were doing it for. So, but they were willing to let me do it. You know, I had to speak to a social worker and a bunch of different people. Um, so for our listeners, um, you were, you're in the medical field, but you had a lot of years of training ahead of you before you would feel ready to potentially start a family. You're, you are, um, and so by freezing eggs and embryos, it gave you a little freedom and flexibility to finish your training. It sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would not have been able to, I, I don't know how I would have handled uh, children during my training. And I did seven years of training after medical school. So it was a long road. Wow. Well, you were very smart to be thinking ahead like this. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of women in um, professions that do require advanced training like this or um, many years of long hours don't always realize that they may benefit from egg freezing. So you were a bit of a trailblazer by going ahead and doing this um, when you were just 33 years old. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that process was like? Because obviously you were still going to work every day. You really, mm -hmm. I assume, couldn't take time off to do this. Right. Yeah. Um, well, during my training, we had some months where we were doing research. So I, um, and research meant we sort of had our own time to be working on our research projects. And so I had a little bit of flexibility there. Um, also because I was working in an obstetrics and gynecology field, I was right around all the people who did, um, ultrasounds and things, and it required a lot. I had to, um, administer shots to myself. Um, sometimes it was five a day. Um, and I had to go for multiple transvaginal ultrasounds um, in the mornings. Um, and then I had to um, take, um, uh, I had to go and then, and then 
there, it's a procedure to have the eggs removed. And so you have to be put under anesthesia. And then I needed to have somebody with me that day. Um, and so I could go home and, um, some people I know, uh, could get, you can get sick actually from having these shots and stuff where you overstimulate and things like that, which it didn't happen to me. And I actually had very little pain ever with any of these procedures. Um, but, uh, it, it, um, it could, I knew that there was a potential for bad things to happen, especially cause I just know that area of the body so well. So it was a little bit nerve wracking. Um, and it, it, it was a little bit lonely actually, you know, cause it was just me doing this by myself, having to administer these things. I think I thought a lot about how, like, if I had been married and this was, I was going through this, I'd have somebody else helping me. And that wasn't what was happening. But at the same time, it was still, it still felt like I was doing this out of love. And it felt like, um, I, I could definitely have a potential child. And so that was the thing that kept me going, knowing that like, if I do this now, hopefully that even if I get older, I'll be able to have children. Wow. What a story. That is amazing. So let's just talk a little bit about that. So all this monitoring, you mentioned that there are some potential complications um, mm-hmm. with doing this treatment. So the monitoring, the seeing you for multiple visits, that's really to, to make sure that you don't have too big a response to the medication. You know, your doctors need to be able to um, adjust your doses of medication if needed. Um, so it does really require frequent short visits, usually for ultrasounds and lab work um, during the process. And I think that is a commitment that anyone who wants to freeze their eggs has to be willing to make. Um, but usually on those days with monitoring, you can go to work afterwards. And I think that's something our listeners should know during the egg freezing process. You're not missing work for two weeks. You are going to be missing work the day of your egg retrieval, your procedure. And that requires anesthesia. And you will need someone to drive you home afterwards, typically. So, and then how quickly did you get back to work? Do you remember? Yeah, um, I think both times I was back like either the next day or the day after. So um, it might've been like, or the three times I did it, it might've been close to the weekend. Um, So then I had the weekend to recover, but I really, it took like a day for me to recover. I know that that's not always the case, but for me, it was the case. Well, it sounds like you did really well. And that actually sounds like a pretty typical experience for most people, you know, and the timing of egg retrieval really depends on how you respond to stimulation. So it's not something that can be planned necessarily for a particular day of the week. It, you, you really are at the mercy of how your ovaries respond to stimulation. And I'm sure you learned that during the course of this process. Yeah, I actually could like probably pinpoint when it was, what day it was going to be knowing how my body reacted after the first or second time. So fast forward, you completed your training. You, you had obviously decided to keep those eggs and embryos in storage for a few years. Um, and um, when you were, when you decided to freeze, how were you counseled about that? Did we, did they explain to you anything about the duration of time that the embryos could, and eggs could be stored? Um, they did not. Okay. I so mean, they didn't say that, that it was a specific time period. Right. Um, and I think that they said at least 10 years they could be stored for. 
Right. Right. And that's typically what we'll counsel our patients is that they can be stored indefinitely until you're ready to use them. Not all patients will end up needing to use their eggs and embryos. And it's just like it was for you. It was, you know, a backup plan in case you needed them. Um, mm-hmm. So there they were. And so you, you did have to keep them in storage. I think, you know, advice to our patients, if you do end up freezing eggs and embryos, it's really important to maintain communication with a program um, and the lab where they're stored. So they know where to reach you. Um, usually you will have to pay for monthly storage fees or yearly storage fees for eggs and embryos. And that's just something to keep in mind that you are going to be responsible for um, the, the, um, keeping eggs and embryos in liquid nitrogen is it does, there is a cost associated with doing that. So it's really important to make sure that you um, maintain your, your contact with the clinic where your um, eggs or embryos are in order to do that. And if you move to make sure you let your clinic know your new address so they can find you. Um, also very important, which many people now in our society are very mobile and moving around for career and, and everything like that. So, um, so Ellen, can you talk about um, the next part of the process? When, how, how did um, you come back to this? So when I, I finished my studies, I moved to a new town um, and I established myself there. Um, and I decided that um, I was ready to try to become a mother. And so I still was like a little apprehensive as to what I had in storage in the, in the different place that I lived before. Um, and so I decided, well, I'm 39. I might as well try first just to see if I have any eggs left in me before I go and use my um, bank account. So I did an IV, another IVF fresh cycle and I failed that cycle. So um, I only made like, I think one embryo that was good and they are, or good enough to put in. And, um, it, uh, I, I, it caused a chemical pregnancy. Um, and so then, um, I live in Massachusetts. And so in Massachusetts, uh, fertility treatment is covered once you, uh, do, uh, IUIs, which is where they, um, use sperm and inject it into your uterus, um, at the time that you're fertile to see if they can get you pregnant. And so I, um, if you, but you have to do six of those in order to then get IVF. So, um, I paid out of pocket for that first IVF. And then I said, okay, well, I'll do the IUI so I can use insurance to see. Um, and on the first IUI that I did, and I used the same sperm as my embryos. That's the key. Another thing this, I still had sperm from that time. So I used the same sperm as my embryos. I had an IUI and I was pregnant. And I got pregnant and I had one daughter who's now three and a half. So, and I think that was probably my last good egg. <laughs> so I delivered her at age 40 um, and she's healthy and everything was great. Um, and then when she turned a year, I decided I wanted to have a sibling for her. And so I, again, was like, oh, I'll just do IUIs because it worked the first time it should work again. But at this point I was 41 years old and, um, I ended up doing eight IUIs and another fresh IVF, which all failed. So then I said, well, I should go back to where my eggs and embryos are and see if, 
any of those are going to work. And so they, un, uh, I had all my embryos at the time that were frozen, um, were frozen at day three. And I think that's because at the time they didn't look like terrific. And so they wanted to freeze at three, so they'd have something to freeze, but they then unfroze them and grew them out and they ended up, um, unfreezing six and four grew. Um, and so I went and I had a frozen transfer of two embryos and there was a long discussion as to whether we should have put both of them in or not, um, because they both looked gorgeous. So they somehow corrected themselves once they grew. Um, and they both looked very, very good. And so the chance of twins was very high. I didn't realize at the time that it was as high as it was um, by the look of those embryos. Um, and I ended up <laughs> uh, getting sick uh, right after I had the transfer um, from getting cellulitis from the shots for the, uh -huh. for the transfer. And so I think that probably if I was meant to have twins, one of them got knocked off during that, that episode. But I ended up having one very healthy girl who just turned one today. So I have two daughters from um, uh, ART, basically. That's amazing. What a great story, Ellen. Um, congratulations on the birth of both of your daughters and the birthday of your youngest today. What a great, what a great story that is. You did mention an interesting point. So for our patients who are thinking about using embryos or eggs that they freeze, when we think about the number to transfer, we try to think about the age you were when you created those eggs and embryos. And so even though you were 41 years old, typically we would transfer the number that would be recommended for a 33 year old, which was the age when you originally froze those which embryos. Was, which was one. Right, and one I, would be recommended, right? Right, right. And, and you know, the person who was transferring them trained me and she was actually the most conservative uh, of all of them in that, that department. Um, and we really did have a long discussion because she's like, we can refreeze one. She's like, but at the same time, you're a busy surgeon and we're going to have, like, if it doesn't work, you know, then you have to keep coming back. And I was very lucky because I, you know, had this transfer and then within three weeks, COVID hit. Okay. So, um, I wouldn't have been able to go back for a long time. So it would have prolonged right having a baby. Um, and, and, you know, she said, what would you do if you have twins? I said, I'd rather have twins than no child. Um, but she's like, what if one splits? And then we had discussion about that because I was not going to carry triplets. So, <laughs> um, we, and so, uh, you know, we had, she liked my answers and went for it. And I'm glad she did because I only had a singleton, but, um, I think the chances were quite high. Um, right. Cause so I when think my REI looked at them, they were like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw the pictures of those embryos too. And was uh, well, also when you saw the pictures, your face turned white, <laughs> <laughs> you lost the blood out of the color of your, out of your face. And I was like, Oh, they were that very was nice. <laughs> they were very nice embryos, Ellen. And I was happy for you. So, um, but I think, you know, the key to all of this for our listeners is good counseling. Listen to, listen to your doctor, listen to what they're saying to you. They've seen lots of patients like you before, and they, they really want to help, you know, and they want to make sure that you have a good outcome. Um, and, and 
we're trying to help you have a healthy pregnancy and not put you or your baby at risk for any complications. So um, it, any, any um, decision to proceed with a cycle um, using frozen eggs and embryos definitely needs a lot of careful counseling. So it sounds like you got it. And it sounds like you so fortunately had a really excellent outcome um, mm -hmm. using your frozen eggs. Um, yeah. So from um, he was nine years in the freezer. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> well, you know, we don't, we hear a lot about women freezing their eggs nowadays um, for um, various reasons. I think they're, you're absolutely right. It's a very popular option. Many women are coming to us to freeze their eggs, but we don't get to hear about too many people using those frozen eggs. It's, it's few and far between, I would say, probably our cancer patients, some of them have been coming back to use their eggs after uh, completing chemotherapy and getting clearance from their oncologist. But I haven't seen too many other patients who've had success like you have, you know, because they needed to delay childbearing to finish their training. So I am so happy that you took the time to share your story today with our listeners and to really talk about the ins and outs of the process with everyone. Is there anything else you'd like to add or any other thoughts about egg freezing that you'd like our patients to know? Well, I really think that if you're thinking about it, just do it. Even if you think that you don't even want to have children when you're older, things change and you don't know how you're going to feel. I never thought I would have children on my own without a partner. And yet I did. And it's the best thing I ever did in my life way more important than even all the medical training I went through or anything else, which I am proud of. But the, um, my two daughters are the thing I'm most proud of in life. Thank you so much, Ellen. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for sharing your story with all of us. Um, this has been an, today's episode of SART Fertility Experts featuring egg freezing. Um, my guest today was Ellen. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you Take for care, having everyone. Thank you, Ellen. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to SART Fertility Experts, your resource for information on IVF. If you found this podcast useful, please like us on your favorite social media platform and tell your friends about us. For more family building resources, visit www.sart.org slash patient dash information or www.reproductivefacts.org.